So I was on the train coming up to London today and I was reading the book written by my guest on the podcast today. And uh, there were parts of it that moved me to tears. This is Peter Leonard. He's the chief executive of the Centre for Emotional Health. And I was very conscious of that kind of display of emotion on a crowded train, thinking how difficult it must be if you are in the public eye and you are showing emotion or being honest about what's going on for you. It must be really challenging. And this is Emotionally Speaking, a new podcast all about emotions, your emotions and how they affect every aspect of your life. I'd like to invite you to explore the world of emotions with me in this brand new podcast. And I have a big ambition. I hope that every time you listen, you'll come away with a little more insight into yourself, but also with some new and achievable ideas to help navigate your relationships. The Centre for Emotional Health was founded in 1997 and has helped over a million people strive for better emotional health through training and support. Whether they're teenagers, senior leaders, teachers or parents from all backgrounds, everyone can learn how to build stronger relationships. One of the best ways to do that learning is to reflect on previous experience and what helped us. So in each episode, I'll be welcoming a different guest to talk about a moment in their life that was challenging. We'll listen, talk together and build a picture of their own personal emotional toolkit. And I hope that some of these tools might work for us as well so we can build our own emotional toolkit. And sometimes that means, I think, putting up a bit of a wall and saying, I don't need this. What I actually need is is calm. And being still and not running and escaping is the thing that you need to survive. And our brain can do that. We just need to learn how to program it. I'm absolutely delighted to kick our maiden voyage off with a guest I know I'm going to learn so much from. Kate Garraway, MBE, is one of the UK's most successful journalists and broadcasters. Alongside an incredible TV career that would take me at least 15 minutes to list, Kate is a seasoned radio broadcaster. She's currently one of the presenters on Good Morning Britain, presents the mid-morning show on Smooth Radio, she's also been on Strictly and she's braved the I'm a Celebrity Jungle. But Kate and her family's world was turned upside down when her husband, Derek Draper, contracted a near-fatal case of COVID in March 2020. Derek survived, but has been left with life-changing long COVID, which means he needs round-the-clock care. Kate's new book, The Strength of Love, chronicles her family's ongoing journey to rebuild their life. I'm absolutely delighted that she's here to share her emotional health journey with us. Kate Garraway, welcome to Emotionally Speaking. Thank you so much. How lovely to be here. What a lovely introduction. I'm now, I'm now already um, feeling like expectations need to be managed. <laughs> well, But thank you for having me anyway. It's an absolute delight. I mean, Kate, just reading your Wikipedia page made me feel tired. Oh, gosh. You're not afraid of hard work, are you? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? Two things, really. One, at the moment, I think there's an awful lot of running around trying to stay afloat. But also, actually, a lot of what I do, professionally speaking, doesn't feel like hard work because it is incredible. I remember once uh, years ago, 
um, and she's 17 now, so that's how long ago it was, taking Darcy for her first day at secondary school and that terrible moment when they walk inside not wanting to look back. It's not like the first day of primary. <laughs> yeah. uh, not wanting to look back, not even really wanting me to walk with her on the first day. And uh, being in floods of tears, other parents being in floods of tears and then saying, oh, should we all go for coffee? And I say, I can't, I've got to go to work. And they, they said, oh, what are you doing? And I said, I'm interviewing Will Smith. And the emotion from the other mums and some dads went from poor thing to I hate you <laughs> yeah, I in about imagine. two seconds. Imagine. It's not a bad way to take your mind off that moment, is it? So an awful lot of what I do is the sort of thing that people would do if they could choose to. So I'm very lucky. Yeah, And it clearly energises you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that talking to people from all walks of life about things they're passionate about, you always learn something yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to talk, we're going to talk a bit about emotions today. I'm really looking forward to what I'm going to learn from you about emotions. Okay. But I want to start by congratulating you on your book, Strength of Love. Right. It's the only book that's made me cry in public, but we'll come back to that. Um, how, how's Derek? How's he doing? Well, you know, it's a funny one with Derek, isn't it? Because technically, I guess he is in the bracket of long COVID. But our perceptions of that are very different from the reality of his life. So he has very, very severe COVID damage of all his organs, uh, including his brain, because the inflammation ran through his brain. So it, he is living in the world of the unknown. And, and when he wakes up in the morning, it's heartbreaking because you feel as though you're watching somebody who may have, it's hard to know because his speech is still so restricted, but who may have been inhabiting his old life in his dreams. And then he wakes up and you see the cloud descend of the battle that he has ahead. But if you look back over the time that we met about a year ago, more than a year ago, I can definitely look back there and see that there is some progress. He has more words now. His voice is stronger. You occasionally get a little bit of Chorley accent in there, <laughs> which is lovely. It makes it feel more like he is because he had a very strong one before, a uh, Lancashire accent. So it feels like he's more present, but he still is unable to even sit up without assistance of a couple of people. And his life is not his own. And for someone whose life, uh, his brain had always been his ally and friend and weapon and, you know, fuel, it's now kind of his enemy. So I think he is having a huge emotional struggle and we are in a whirlpool of emotions surrounding that still. Yeah, yeah. So can I ask you, what, what does emotional health mean to you? I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people, I think, confuse being emotionally healthy with being happy. And I think being happy is a sort of a wonderful state. I think maybe I would define it as that when you've had half of the first lager on an empty stomach on a Friday, <laughs> uh, but not the full pint. And, and you know, that kind of state of slight bliss and freedom and work is done and there's no way that we can all live our lives in that state but we do want to live our lives emotionally healthily so I think I suppose for me it's about feeling robust enough to tackle the stuff that life throws at you which it does to everybody and some days it can be small like you you know spilt tea down your lap or sometimes it can be big, but I think as sort of being robust enough to to ride that roller coaster, I guess. 
that's an amazing answer. That's uh, we we talk about emotional health not being about being happy all the time, but being able to you know deal with what life throws at you. So that exactly that's exactly how we see emotional health. So so absolutely completely agree with you there. And I'm guessing dealing with a condition like like Derek is having to do mm. when we still know uh, very little about COVID mm. in the great scheme of things. I'm guessing there's lots of emotional highs and lows for you. Yeah, there is. I remember a specialist saying rather early on, he was still in, he spent a lot of last year in hospital as well. He was readmitted with sepsis into intensive care for months and then other operations that were not emergencies, but things that were designed to help. But before he was released the first time in April 21, I remember a specialist saying, nobody wants to get sick, but if you do get sick, try and make it something that we've known about for at least 10 to 50 years, because then you've got a chance of a trajectory so that those around the person that's sick can kind of navigate their emotional journey. I guess one of the challenges with Derek is that we've never quite felt like he is safe. So every infection, every rush back to hospital might be the moment when he's taken. But also, we we have no clear path of certainly not, still hopeful that he could improve, but we have no clear path or timeline on that. So you really are riding the classic roller coaster with a bit of merry-go-round thrown in, you know, because you find yourself thinking, oh, I can't believe I'm back here in intensive care. can't believe he's back here in intensive care. And of course, I'm very aware that, you know, he and I have got two youngsters who have been on a heck of a journey anyway. They've gone from, it was about three days into lockdown when Derek went into hospital. And, you know, they had a very terrifying period, as we all did during that period. Uh, very isolated, very intense, you know, me, them, no one else, plus sort of phone call updates from the hospital on whether he was alive or dead, essentially, to going back out into the world as teenagers with GCSEs and A-levels. So, you know, sometimes it's quite hard to work out what we're navigating. We're navigating our particular trauma or is it just being a teenager in 2023? So I guess that's something that we all feel, isn't it? And we all go through to various different degrees. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I do think post-COVID there is that kind mm-hmm. of sense of collective trauma and of course as you point out in your in mm-hmm. your your book strength of love uh, there's since covid there's been the cost of living crisis yeah. there's been all of that stuff as well yeah so it, how do you i mean i'm guessing there's a huge amount of adrenaline sort surging through you a lot of the time yes i mean i think adrenaline i think i talk about it as a frenemy because adrenaline is very very useful tool in a crisis it's the thing that you read reports where mothers have lifted cars because their kids are trapped underneath that's adrenaline doing that and it allows you to work through the night and to exist on very little sleep but of course you're paying a piper at some point and that can it has a negative effect on your health. I'm sure Derek is is experiencing his own adrenaline fueled journey as well. And the kids too are living with their own managing of adrenaline, but also probably a mother who is like that too. So I think adrenaline, you do have to take in hand at some point. And uh, I've been doing various things to do that. And I think it's a big challenge because you can get used to... Our brains are phenomenal things, I think. And a lot of our emotional health 
we believe comes from our brains. But what I've learned is, is that our, our brains are like the most incredible piece of AI, like an incredible computer. And it's only as good as the information that goes into it. And if you look back at you know, our ancestors, they were living in caves. You know, we always draw them like this, don't we, in our minds. But they were in caves. And if a saber-toothed tiger, this could be, by the way, anachronistic. But if a saber-toothed tiger came to the door of the cave, it was very clear that they either had to escape or kill the tiger or be eaten. So all the threats were very immediate. And adrenaline and your brain, which is only there as a survival mechanism, sort of had information present around it that it could use to keep you safe. What I think is challenging about 2023 is we have information coming from everywhere. We can hear about a horrific flood, the other side of the world, which has taken thousands of life. And our brain gets that information and it thinks, crikey, keep you safe. And what it does is it surges you with adrenaline to keep you alive. But actually, you don't need that information because you are not in that flood. And you you have to really manage what you allow in to your brain that keeps you safe. And sometimes that means, I think, putting up a bit of a wall and saying, I don't need this. What I actually need is, is calm and being still and not running and escaping is the thing that you need to survive. And our brain can do that. We just need to learn how to program it. And that, that shows both incredible self-awareness, but also the ability to put in a boundary and say, actually, yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, it is. And that sometimes you can feel quite guilty about that, because I think being empathetic with other people's struggles is one of the wonderful things that we are and have the ability to be as human beings. But also it is that classic thing of, of allowing your brain to look after yourself first. Yeah. Can I ask you about hope? Throughout the book and, and seeing you interviewed in other places, there is hope that you have this incredible ability to be hopeful in the face of quite challenging reality. I'm just how do you balance those two things? I have a very clear definition of hope in my mind, and I see it as very different to a wish. So I think hope is a powerful sense of looking for the positive and directing yourself towards something hopeful, optimistic, but not necessarily wishing. So that doesn't probably make a lot of sense. You know, you can walk past a millionaire's house and think, oh, I wish I could live there. And actually what you're feeling is your own lack of living there at that point. When we look at a millionaire's house, we imagine a life and we have fantastic feelings of what it would be like to be swimming in a pool and all of those things that we imagine that that house contains with the people that live there. So I guess what I feel about hope is is you're looking towards the feelings, not craving something that you don't have. So with Derek, I don't know what his end point will be. So we have to enjoy the journey. And sometimes that's very difficult because he's in pain, he's in jeopardy, and we are too. And our relationship is changing all the time. I mean, I would have said that he wouldn't have trusted me to park the car before he got <laughs> sick, let alone make life or death decisions for him. So on one level, we are sort of supercharged in terms of the intensity of our relationship, but all the reality of it has changed significantly, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I guess what 
what I see as is hope and balancing. Certainly, I know that the children and I and Derek are grieving for what we had before. It took me a long time to use that word because I felt very guilty because I think, you know, I don't want people who are dealing with the raw agony of bereavement to, to think, gosh, you know, her husband's still there, the children still have their father. There, it isn't the same. But there is a grief for all of us of the sort of ease of communication that we had, of the life we had, of the ability to do things with dad we had and of him to contribute and to express his love in the way that he did before and his life. Mm. and pursue his passions before. So we're sort of grieving, but also he's there and we have hope to live at the same time. So it is a little bit like balancing on a seesaw. Yeah. This is Emotionally Speaking, the podcast about emotional health and relationships. I'm Peter Leonard, and today I'm talking with broadcaster and writer Kate Garraway about her life as a carer to her husband Derek, who is living with the aftermath of a life-threatening case of COVID. But what, what's really clear, and again in the book, is you're, you're very mindful of, of people who've been through similar, but whose, whose loved one is no longer with them. You're, yeah. you're very mindful of that. Um, yeah, I am, because there are thousands of people, and not just from COVID. Every day, people lose their lives. Every day, people are diagnosed with life-changing health issues. They get horrific diagnoses of incurable diseases. And, you know, I'm very aware that because Derek's is in my face, others are, uh, are living that all the time. And sadly, tomorrow, there will be more. So I guess... It's strange when you're in a situation where you're consumed by something. I think it's important to know that, that you are linked. I mean, sometimes very in the early days of Derek being home, when you have a very sharp reality of all the previous year had been looking in wonder or for a long time not seeing people, but hearing on the phone the incredible work of the doctors and nurses, there was a massive frustration at not being able to get close. And then suddenly you are close and you realise that the doctors and nurses aren't there. They're not at the at the end of a ward ready to help. And you suddenly feel an incredible sense of, oh my goodness, I'm on my own here. And then you realise that actually you're connected by the millions possibly billions actually around the world that are doing the same thing. And I found that once that sort of shifted in my head, the love and that connection, because I think love is a connection, really. That's what, what the core of what love is, a warm connection, comes at you from everywhere. I mean, I've been incredibly lucky that literally people have written things on napkins in cafes and given it to me saying, oh, you know, my mum has dementia and I know what you're going through and keep going and people come up to you and that is a plus I have because of being on the TV, people recognise me. But I also see it with people that don't recognise you, that just sort of sense things and I find that actually love is there from strangers, from friends, from family, if you choose to look for it, yeah. you know? Let's stick with that love and connection for a minute. And yeah. I, 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 I've really enjoyed reading The Strength of Love. But what I noticed is the things that, that made me well up, the things that made me cry, were not the, you know, the really hard bits. They were the bits where 
Some mm. somebody reached out. There was a connection. There was a really significant moment. So uh, let me just share a couple of them with you. Yeah. So once was when Derek was at home and had uh, fallen, and you were kind of trapped underneath him, and the carer was with you, and you couldn't get him up. And uh, Darcy came home from a fire, school firework, and uh, her friend's dad came in, mm. and and there's this image. You know, you paint a very kind of challenging picture of what's going on in that room in in Derek's room mm. and this wonderful man just walks in and says oh hello Mr Draper lovely to meet you let's see what we can do about this and it's just so yeah. normal and polite and I, I just burst into tears I thought that's just the most wonderful moment it is and isn't it fantastic because I I didn't know him Darcy's friend I knew but I hadn't met the parent Lovely man. And you'd think, gosh, he would walk into this picture of Derek. He'd slipped, hadn't he? Yeah, and that's right. I was sort of somewhat comically underneath him, trying to prevent him going completely to the floor. Uh, carers were there. Babysitters were there. were all trying to hold him up. And, you know, it, these things can be quite disturbing, mm. can't they? Yeah, yeah, if absolutely. you come in and see somebody that that in that state. But people just sort of go, okay. Let's crack on and let's deal with it. And there's a lot of that, I think. And I think, funnily enough, during the pandemic, we really had a strong sense of that. And it was one of the sort of positives of that time that people did knock on neighbours' doors when they were allowed Mm. to and, you know, wave across fences and order things online for for people that they knew weren't that familiar with, with the internet and all of those lovely things happened and then the strange thing was is that we emerged in the spring of 21 thinking how amazing that there's a vaccine how amazing that there are better cures how amazing we can start to get back out into our life and then got hit by challenge after challenge and and in a way a lot of anger bubbled up frustrations which we've seen with strikes and protests and a lot of things going on and so I think it's quite important to remember that if you look for it those loving outstretched hands we had during the pandemic are still there it's just that I think somehow a lot of people feel quite betrayed in not a dissimilar way although I wouldn't want to compare being in lockdown with being in a trench in a war but in a way a lot of people felt after World War II that they came back having saved the world in their eyes and put their own lives at risk and felt oh my gosh and I think there's a lot of that around and so we just have to try and remember each other's fraughtness I think don't we yeah absolutely Uh, at the Centre for Emotional Health we talk a lot about how relationship can develop and aid and support our emotional health and how important relationships are in in a whole range of ways with yourself with the world but but with other people I think Um, you're right and in fact actually some of the study I've been doing that came from researching things for Derek and the impact of COVID on his brain and nervous system was that when you're in the company of someone you love and it doesn't have to be a romantic love it could be somebody that you feel a loving connection with a family member or a friend or anybody, a work colleague, you know, that that you feel a connection to, that actually the sensation that's triggered is in the same area of the brain that that painkillers target. So that kind of emotional release you get from being, I guess, held by a loving connection can actually relieve pain physically, and I believe definitely emotionally. So it is, I think, really important. Yeah. And obviously now you've got 
this team of carers mm-hmm. who who and, mm-hmm. I, and and reading the book that's not always been easy to get that in place and, and mm-hmm. keep it in place how does that fit into you as a family and your relationships now well it's 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 an interesting one isn't it so when Derek came out of hospital there was a clear pathway that we thought was in place which was you know he's a challenging person to care for Derek I think all carers are heroes and I think whatever they do you know even if it's something as simple as bringing somebody a meal and helping them to cut food up is actually really emotionally caring at the same time so they're all brilliant but he is physically very challenging because of the state he's in and so we thought we were on a particular pathway I wouldn't get into the technicals of NHS care and social care and all of that because it's it's a labyrinth And actually, we are constantly fighting within the system. I don't think we're fighting the system, but within the system of the sort of broken nature of it, really. But that's probably more political than we want to go here. Not party political, actually, but just it's a a web of, of politics. But actually, the strange thing is, is for the children, I really noticed it because they'd had, you know, a year and it went, our lockdown went on longer than most because I couldn't risk taking infection into hospital or risk Derek's infection. So we were operating in lockdown for longer than others. They'd gone from this very intense time with me and each other on our own, fundamentally, luckily enough, we had a garden in our house, to suddenly having complete strangers, often changing twice a day because there's a night and a day shift and a second person that came. So I think it was quite an adjustment, really. And all of them, very different personalities. But now they are very embedded in our lives and all of them in different ways. So, yeah, I think there's a big adjustment, but... Ultimately, you know, so spectacularly grateful for it. A lot of them are younger than me. So Darcy and Billy love that (laughs) because uh, two of them are great at baseball and the rest of them all know more tech than I do. (laughs) So there's an awful lot of, oh, mum, I can't make this work. (laughs) I'm going to have to wait for Elvis. One of them's called Elvis. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't that brilliant? And every day he goes, I always say, Elvis has left the building. And he isn't at all bored by it. I would would do that. You have to do that. It's almost compulsory, isn't it? He's like, okay, okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think there's swings around about, but it's challenging, isn't it? It is, it is. Time is running away from us, sadly, because I could talk I, to you. Well, I could talk, I could to, talk you to you all day about about all of this stuff. And, yeah. and, and you're such a great example of someone who's, who's living their emotional health. One of the things we're trying to do in this series of podcasts yeah. is create an emotional toolkit. So our, people who are listening are like, oh, I can take that. I can try it. I can use that. Yeah. And before I say what I'm going to put in the emotional toolkit, I wonder if you can tell me, if you could put what, one thing, this is the most important thing you've got to have in your emotional oh toolkit. Oh, my gosh. What might it be? I don't, I mean, what a question. That is quite, that's quite a what hard a question, question to end Peter. with, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, I think uh, one of the keys to riding the slings and arrows of life is is having a positive outlook. And I don't mean in an Instagram, TikTok way, because sometimes that's a little bit like cheer up, smile, it might never happen. Yeah. You just want to punch people. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I think there are things to kind of program yourself. And I did an experiment where for two weeks, it was really hard. I wouldn't let a single negative thought enter my brain. It was very hard and I felt very Pollyanna. But... 
it was a very good way of putting in a kind of sieve to check yourself when you're spiraling. So that's something that I think is probably a good thing to do once so that you've got that there. But there's a little thing that I call but magically, which is when you're sort of... um, thinking negatively or thinking, oh my God, I've got to do this and I'm never going to be able to get there and I'm going to get there and oh my God, what happens is uh, you sort of let it out and have a little bit of a rant to yourself or whoever can tolerate it. And then always at the end say, but magically and find something to shove in. So I'm running late, I'm having a nightmare. Peter, you might be thinking Kate's talking too much. I'm never going (laughs) to be able to put this podcast together. (laughs) But magically, I have got some chocolate biscuits here. (laughs) So, you know, and you can, it can be silly or it can be big. And it is a great brain trick to just flick you back. My kids use this against me, by the way. (laughs) So Darcy says things like, Mum, you know that money you gave me for my, this literally happened this way, you know that money you gave me for my politics textbook? I'm afraid I was in a bit of a panic and I used it to have a manicure but magically, my nails look amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. And I'm like, Darcy, Darcy, it's not meant to be like that. But I don't know whether we... to be appalled or impressed by that. I just, <laughs> I I'm know. torn. <laughs> but you do end up laughing. So I guess that finding what, it might not be magically, it might be whatever, but finding your own word that you can check yourself when you're spiralling and then just flip it. And it's enough, I think, to jolt the brain and get you into a better sleep. I love that. I love that. So I'm absolutely putting butt magically into but my toolbox. But magically. There I'm, you go. <laughs> I'm also going to put I'm also going to put hope in, but okay. hope in the way you talked about it, the idea yeah. of identifying the feeling. Yes. Um, we talk a lot about feelings driving behavior and I think, you know, if you get the yeah. feeling right then so I think I'm putting I want to put that in as well. Okay, thank um, you. Uh, and I'm this also This is like a reverse room 101. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what yeah, it is. That's I love what it. it is. I, I love, love it. That. Oh, I'm going to try and weave that into the other podcast. <laughs> um, I'm also going to put in connection because okay. that's that I mean that's come through in our conversation mm. but it's really there as a fundamental yeah. thread through the book so I'm going to put I'm going to put connection in Kate I have had the best time talking to you and that's part of what I see in the book you know this is a it's challenging for you life is full of ups and downs and some of your downs have been pretty significant but you've just ridden them in this most incredible way and in a way which speaks of emotional health in and I know that people listening will have been inspired and helped by this so thank you for for being so open about it all thank you for spending time with us chatting it's been an absolute delight talking to you and i've learned a lot too so thank you very much indeed thank Thank you you. so kate's left the studio now and uh, i'm thinking about that incredible conversation i'm going to carry that with me for the rest of the day i think and just just reflect on it a bit more but i'm really excited about this podcast about the guests we've got lined up so please do subscribe wherever you get your normal podcasts Emotionally Speaking is presented by Peter Leonard. Peter is the Chief Executive of the Centre for Emotional Health and you can find out about their work and training courses by visiting their current website, familylinks.org.uk. Thank you for listening to Emotionally Speaking. We're really keen to keep the conversation about emotional health going. Let's keep talking about emotional health, raising awareness and sharing ideas to help us navigate life in a healthy way. Emotionally Speaking is produced by Freya Hellier and Alexandra Quinn and is brought to you by the team at Loftus Media.